Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, uh, I uh, get this question from time to time. Just a couple of things to think about. I get this question from time to time. Uh, what is the church doing at a time like this? And uh, I've posted a few things on Facebook over the last couple of weeks. A friend of mine who's a doctor uh, runs an organization, Doctors Without Borders, and, and uh, uh, he uh, uh, took a team into New York City and uh, spent a couple of weeks there caring for people and helping with the overflow. That's what the church is doing at a time like this. And, and here's another example, you know. Uh, people are sharing food. They're making sure people are able to eat. They're making sure that people are given the resources they need. And even though these are sort of things that sort of run in the background, uh, we want you to know about them. And we want you not only to know about them, to participate, whether it's making masks or, or, or distributing food or helping tutor kids at this distance learning time. Uh, the church is alive and well. So I just want to kind of let you know that. Uh, secondly, I, I, I have now gotten this comment several times, and uh, uh, so here's, here's what I'm hearing from you. This is a feedback I'm getting, and that is that I am funnier in person than I am in these broadcasts. So um, uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly how that works or what would change, because uh, the truth is uh, funny happens in the moment. So uh, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe you guys can uh, swap some jokes online or something and uh, uh, we'll kind of see where that goes. I'll try to lighten up. Someone said I look very solemn, so uh, I'll try not to look solemn today. We are thinking about and continuing sort of in this uh, character study of the apostles, and I, and I want you to think about these words. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit both on men and women, and your young men will dream dream, or your young men will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. And I will pour out my spirit on all of you, both men and women. And I, I want to think about what that looks like. I want to think about what it means for you and I to be living in a time in which we are invited to this outpouring of the spirit of God and what that means and what that looks like. And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, as we wear in now to the fourth or fifth week or whatever it is, you're beginning to wear down a little bit, and you're getting a little weary in the process. And so I'm thinking this morning that maybe what we need together is a little bit of the reality that, that, that the Spirit of God is available to speak into our hearts and into our lives. And it's, it's not just about getting a resource to keep going. It's about something that's profoundly and fundamentally true. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning as we start out. Is it possible to change? Now, I know immediately, you know, we have a, an instant answer, uh, which is, of course, it's possible to change. So I want you to slow down, and I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to think about, uh, not jump immediately into the analytics of that question and start to, you know, sort of just pass it off as a known quantity. What do you really think about the possibility of change in your own life. If I did, and we could just talk about the myriad of things. Most of us now, we have a lot of time. So, so when this started, we thought, well, hey, I'm going to go on a walk every day because I got some time. How's that working out? I, I've got some time, so I'm going to prepare healthier meals and, and I'm going to take better care of myself. How's that working out? 
I'm going to be daily in the Bible. I'm going to, I got time now. I'm going to be having a, an extended devotional time. Maybe I'm going to journal. I'm going to take up some of these practices. Is it possible to change? Is it possible to be truly different? And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for me? In an article entitled, Can People Really Change? Brian Willett uh, talks about some of the psychology of change, but, but he references a book. And the name of the book is Change or Die, The Three Keys to Change at Work and at Life. And so w- when you think about that and you think about what it means for us to experience change, the premise of the book is this. It was written and put together by a group of doctors. Specifically, they are uh, cardiologists. And, and they, they studied a group of patients. And the group of patients were people who were either either they had had a heart attack and they were told, if you do not change your lifestyle, you are not going to survive. Or they had uh, been discovered to be on the verge of a crisis, and they were told, listen, if you don't change the way you live, if you don't change your lifestyle, this is going to cost you your life. So the study followed this group of patients uh, for several years, and this is what they discovered. They discovered that within one year, 80% of the people who needed to change or die were back to their normal lifestyle and habits, 80%. They were no longer taking the medications that were prescribed. They were no longer doing the things they were supposed to do. Within two years, 90% of those patients had reverted back into their old lifestyle. The study went on to to, to kind of explore what that was about. And for the 10% who did change and maintain change, what characteristics did they share? And this is what they discovered. They shared four things. Uh, the title of the book says three keys, but they're really four when you begin to read it. The first one is every single person has to answer these four questions. Question number one, do I have a need to make a change? The study found that, that if people see the need for change, then they are much more likely to change. So uh, I don't know about you, but uh, this seems like to be a season to avoid mirrors to kind of just, you know, kid yourself about how it's all going. Because when you see the need, that sort of begins to be this catalyst for change. And so there needs to be this recognition to see what's going on. Second, the question that they ask is, do I want to make the change? It's not enough to just see it. Now I have to really want it. I have to really desire that something is different. For the people who changed, they both saw the need for it, and they really wanted it. It wasn't that they thought they should want it. They really did want it. And then the third question, can I change? Can I change? Do I really believe that I have the power to change? And then the fourth question is, will I change? Will I change? I I see the need. I want to change. I believe I can change. But I don't really think I I will change. I've been around this circle long enough. And the study found that unless you could give a resounding yes to all four of those questions, the likelihood of real change was very slim. In fact, it didn't really happen at all. And so I'd like for you to think about that question and think about it in some detail. Can you change? And then I want to throw something into that mix that maybe we you know, is not in the study. It's just something that you and I ought to think about. It's something that we ought to 
consider, and that is, can we change alone? Can we change alone? Because that seems to make a big, big difference. In fact, while we sort of deeply value the idea that we can do it on our own and we're strong and we're going to figure it out and we're going to talk to ourselves about it and we're going to make new commitments and, you know, all of those things, we really don't do well when it comes to changing alone. That life of independence doesn't really lend itself to change. In fact, it works against change in many ways. Being independent, being isolated, sort of keeps us from seeing what needs to be changed and wanting to change and believing in our power to change and, and engaging the process. And then there's another kind of thing that happens in relationship, and that is a codependent kind of thing, in which we believe that the changes ought to happen for everyone else. Everyone else needs to change in order for us to experience what we need to experience. And that's never healthy and leads to all kinds of dysfunction. And then there is this other reality, and that is that we do our best formation, we do our best changing in relationship with God and with others. Twelve-step programs are built on this idea. Change happens better in community. It happens better together. And so when you stop and you begin to think about that, you, you don't have to believe this, but at least you should know the story. When, when you read the story of God as contained in His Word, then, then there's this understanding that's going on that at the moment of this divine creation change that's going on at the beginning of Genesis, it is happening relationally between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is the triune God, the Trinity, the God formed in relationship, so that this divine change is instituted in a context of community. And then if you just stay with me for a minute and you think about how the narrative unfolds, the entire narrative is about God restoring relationship. It's about God pulling us back together into community so that genuine transformation and change might happen. And so this issue of change is all wrapped up in how we function and how we behave together. So last week we jumped into some character studies about the disciples and we looked specifically at Judas and Peter and John. And I, I want to sort of kind of continue in that thought process, but today I'd like to look uh, add a, a new person to the mix, and that is I'd like to look at Paul, and then I'd like to look at Peter. And I have two questions for you. How did Saul become Paul, and how did Simon become Peter? I think they're really important questions for us to think about. How did Saul become Paul? There's really no greater story of change and transformation in all of Scripture uh, than that story of Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the missionary. Saul was cruel and egotistical and arrogant and legalistic. He was a type A. He was in complete control. He believed in himself. He believed in what he thought was right, and he was willing to act out on those beliefs. Strong, powerful individual, but in a moment in time, he is changed. In one blinding moment, Saul describes it, Paul describes it himself in Acts 22 as he tells his story. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told that you have been assigned, what you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. So Paul, in describing his own transformation, he talks about this blinding moment in which everything changed, in which everything he thought and everything he believed and everything he stood for. And the question is, how do you experience dramatic change like that? There's a little caveat to the story that takes place in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, and I think it's important. This is what it says. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we, we start to get this intricate story of how the Spirit is, is involved in this change. Something's going on in which we are together in spirit, and it has to do with your ability to change and my ability to change. We don't change well alone. We don't do it very well alone. We need community. So Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the missionary. How does he do it? He doesn't do it alone. And then the question would be, how did Simon Peter Simon, how did Simon become Peter? So Simon comes along, and, and then at that moment at Caesarea Philippi, we talked about it a little bit last week, Jesus looks at him and says, uh, from now on you'll be called Peter, uh, the rock, Petra. And, uh, and how does this take place? So uh, I'll just kind of tell you the story since we read it last week, but in Matthew 16 we have this, uh, this encounter that's going on with uh, with. Uh, Peter and Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, or looks at the disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And uh, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, come back from the dead, uh, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for man did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the very gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I, I, I mean... Here is this moment in which you have Simon the disciple, Simon who is sort of uh, impetuous, who is egotistical. He, he, he tends to want to put himself into the middle of everything. He wants to be in the limelight. He has a tendency to push himself forward. And here in this moment, he's had this incredible revelation. But as I highlighted last week, if you just continue to read, it says then, so Jesus then began to tell them all the things he must suffer at the hands of the chief priests. And Peter stands before him and said, never, I will not allow that to happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I can't think of a more dramatic illustration of how Peter is this sort of up and down guy. He's the Simon guy that's just a fisherman and he's figuring it out and he's, he's, he's kind of stumbling through the process. And then he's this powerful, insightful person. And this sort of, this thing keeps going on and on, and we talked about it last week. You know, you get out of the boat. It takes courage to get out of the boat, but you sink. You cut off the servant's, the high priest's servant's ear, but then you deny Christ. It's this, 
This is fluctuating up and down. And where's the real change? When, when do you become the rock? When do you become this person that is foundational? And so as you think about how that story unfolds and how it reads, you, you have to move over into a, a whole different set of circumstances and ideas. So here it is. All Peter's humanity plays out in the drama and then we find him in Acts chapter 2, and this is how the story unfolds. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And here's the thing that's amazing to me. We've had this story of Peter, and he's been up and down, and he's been Simon, and he's been Peter. But, but at this moment, Acts 2, when they spill out of the upper room, we only see Peter from now on resolute and strong and powerful and faithful, that something dramatic has changed. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the missionary. And Simon the fisher become, becomes Peter, the rock and foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about what that looks like and what that means, it, it begins to start to think about the reality that neither of these people changed alone. The truth is that they change around the promise of Jesus. They change around an idea that becomes vivid and explicit with the disciples in the early church. And their promises, not just for the disciples in the early church, but their promises for you and their promises for me. And I don't know about you, but it feels like in these days, I could use that kind of help. I could use that kind of push. I could use that kind of arms wrapped around me. So here's just three passages and three points on this Sunday morning as we worship together. Number one, we are not alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And when Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not alone. The promise is that Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. It doesn't matter what's going on in our story and in our life and in our, our journey. And so I just want you to stop for a minute. I don't think there's anything profound in me telling you on this Sunday morning that you are not alone and that Jesus has promised to be with us. <clears throat> what I do believe is that we have a hard time allowing that to get into our hearts and into our minds. And so I want you to slow down and take a deep breath and I want you to think for a moment about where your anxiety lives. I want you to think about what's happening to you in this process. Maybe you're an extrovert and, and you want to be out there and you need to be in relationship and you need to be talking to people to feel healthy and whole. 
And frankly, you just feel sad or depressed or overwhelmed. I just want you to understand something. When we talk about this thing and we say, I will be with you to the very end of the age, I, what we consider limitations, what we consider to be somehow uh, an interruption to life, an interruption to everything that we hold to be valuable and good, Jesus understands all of that stuff. He knew this was coming. That he intends to get right into that space with you. That space where, you know, the dirty kitchen is making you crazy or, or you, you, you know, you, you wish you could just go for a walk and not have to wear the mask or you don't understand why everybody keeps taking the toilet paper and the baking supplies. Whatever that stuff is, you're not alone. The very... Spirit of God is present in this stuff. So when we use passages of Scripture, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities, not life, not even death. I think we just rattle those things off. But you could put your own words in there. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not not a pandemic, not my worries over finances, not the close quarters in which our family is living and the tensions that sometimes develop because we don't have any space, not the encounter with the, the difficult logistics of, of obtaining food and cooking food and cleaning up food and storing food. and There's not a single piece of it in which you are alone. And I hope as you go through this day, I hope, I hope you'll post right now. I hope you'll post and say, this is where I feel alone. This is where I feel like God doesn't get it. Or, or I feel isolated. Or I feel afraid. Or I feel depressed. Or I feel overwhelmed. Listen, you are not alone. When Jesus says, I will be with you to the very end of the age, he's saying to you, I'm going to be with you in all of it. And I... I want you to stop through the course of this day and the week ahead and take a deep breath and just go, no, Jesus is right here with me. He's with me in this. He's with me in this ache I feel. He's with me in this pain I feel. He's with me. Oh, I have a headache. Do I have COVID-19? He's with me. Oh, I need to go to the doctor. It's unrelated, but I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go through that. He's with me. He's with me. He's with me. Number two, we are empowered not only are we not alone, but we are empowered. Acts 1, chapter, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Skipping down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Listen, Saul became Paul because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Simon became Peter because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I are going to become what we're going to become because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. You and I have been empowered. And I think sometimes when we think about this whole idea of togetherness and independence and codependence and interdependence, I would just invite you to think about this. When you think about the Spirit of God and the presence of God and relationship with God, 
Do you lean more over here to being independent? I'm just doing it on my own and I hope God helps me and blesses me. Or do you lean over here on being codependent? I just can't do anything. I just don't know how to do anything at all. I'm just weak and I'm helpless. And I need God to do everything. Or do we believe in a biblical kind of covenant relationship in which we have been empowered and God has equipped us with a brain and with emotions and He's taught us how to read a book to understand some things that are basic and practical, but we will never change on our own. We bring our best self. We bring our best effort. We challenge ourselves. We, we take captive every thought that is not in keeping with Christ Jesus. We're not helpless, but we can't do it alone. In fact, the, the, the Saul who became Paul made this discovery. His grace is sufficient for me. For his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I'll glory in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I act like I'm independent, I can't make it. When I act like I'm helpless, the the dynamic doesn't work. But when I give God what I have, I don't have to be strong or, or, or wonderful or wise or any of those things. When I give my very best to God, he meets me in that place. And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And I'm invited to celebrate that empowerment. Mark 9.1 says these words, And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come in power. And I wonder how many of us, you know, who live in the age of the Spirit, who live in this place in which the Holy Spirit was manifest at Pentecost and we're celebrating its reality, that we just say, you know what? The possibility, the fullness of the kingdom exists right now for me in my story, in my life as I'm going forward. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. We not only are not alone, we are empowered. So then the third one is this. We are together in spirit. So, so Jesus explains how this idea of the Comforter and the Holy Spirit goes. Jesus makes explanation to us about what it will mean. He's going to be with us to the very end of the age. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon us, and we're going to be empowered. But, but there's even a deeper reality to it. And Jesus talks about it in John 14 and through, the, through chapter 17. I'm going to be preaching from these chapters in the next few weeks, but... But listen to these words from John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We are together in spirit. Not just any spirit. We're together in this intimate relationship with Jesus in spirit with God and with us in spirit with Jesus and with Jesus in spirit with us we're going to be one together in that reality and that same spirit 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all and in us all and over us all. We, we not only bind together with who God is, we bind together with who each other are. And these weeks, as we've been separated, as we're communicating in this way, listen, we're not alone. We are empowered, and we are together in spirit. Not because we have some mental ability to, to throw ourselves out there and think, oh, we're a community virtually right now. No. No, we're bound together because we share the same spirit. The spirit of God manifests to each of us. And I know that as we walk this journey, we start to get weary and, and we start to be run down and we start to think, oh, I don't know. Now we, we, we start to pull apart why it's happening and who's to blame and what should be different. Listen, take a deep breath. In life, difficult things happen. In life, we, we go, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. There's more going on than meets the eye. Maybe, maybe in all of the manifest ways that life works, this is a season in which we finally sit down and say, you know, it's not about just showing up on a weekend. It's about engaging our hearts and our minds. It's about becoming something, and we can be the community of God virtually and post, and we ought to. We ought to take full advantage of how this community works. We shouldn't just be spectators. We should be participants. But what binds us together is not a building, and it's not even a virtual reality. It's the very presence and spirit of God in which we are one with Him. Listen, you are not alone. And you and I, we've been empowered we're not asked to do this all by ourselves. We are asked to be mindful. We are asked to slow down. We are asked to remember that we're not alone. We are asked to remember that we weren't given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love of self-discipline, and that we are one together in spirit. So I'm going to invite Buddy to come back up because we're going to close this service in a little different way today. And I'm going to invite you to just share a a moment or two of guided prayer. And I want you to just bow your heads. I, I know maybe it's crazy at your house, and, you know, I, I don't know how it works when you watch, but you know, it's probably on some device. Maybe several people are holding devices. Maybe you have it on the big screen. But I'm sure it feels awkward sometimes to sing out loud. I'm sure it feels awkward sometimes to pray. So if you just want to, stare at the TV in these moments or stare at your device, but I just would ask you to take a deep breath and really enter into a place of prayer. And for these next closing moments of this service, we would just share together in spirit. God, we invite you into these moments shared across the city, across our community, across the nation, literally across the world. Connected in such a unique way in this moment. A few minutes ago as I was watching comments, I saw a college roommate pop on sharing in this service with us today friends and family from across the nation, folks that normally don't worship together, normally we're not in proximity to one another, but here we are, virtually bound together, together in spirit. 
I pray that you would in this moment allow us to take a deep breath and recognize that we are the body of Christ uniquely bound together in your spirit. And even as we celebrate the reality that we are community, I pray that you would allow each of us to simply in this moment confess to you, pray to you, offer to you the place where we feel alone, lonely. I pray you'd bring to our minds those thoughts that run through our brains where we feel anxious, overwhelmed. Help us in this moment to think about our thinking. Maybe there are are multiple worries and multiple fears. Maybe it has to do with finances. I I pray that you would help us to gather those things up. Maybe it's our own physical health. Maybe we're not feeling great. Maybe we're afraid of this virus and we live in fear and anxiety and we feel paralyzed by that. I pray that you'd help us to gather up those fears. Maybe it's relational. Maybe this forced quarantine has created tensions and difficulties and sadness. And I pray that you'd help us to gather it all up. Maybe it's fear of the future. Maybe as we read and listen to different people write and talk about the world and the future and we hear that it's never going to be the same and things are dark and it's going to take many years and and those thoughts about the future just overwhelm us. I pray that you'd help us to gather those fears up. Maybe we're praying for others in our family and we're concerned. Maybe they're at risk. Maybe they're already feeling ill, whatever it might be. I pray for all of those that are in our circle of influence, in our, in our sphere of responsibility, those we worry about and pray over. I pray that you would allow us to gather them all up. Maybe for our students, they're worried about classes and studies. For some, they're getting ready for graduation, and that's going to be interrupted, and it's going to be disrupted, and that brings a kind of sadness. I pray that we could gather up all of those uncertainties and all of those disappointments, and I pray now that we could just turn our hands over and lay them down, that the Word of God would resonate that we are not alone. We are not alone in these fears. We are not alone in these things. We're not by ourselves in how we feel and what we think and the things that race through our heads. We are not alone. You are with us in all of it. And we are empowered. You have given us the very Spirit of God to reside in us and walk with us and navigate this stuff. 
that you have promised that we would be the body of Christ, that we would be your hands and feet and eyes, that we would be the people who are experiencing the world and that because we are experiencing the world, you would bring the strength of your spirit to the places we live and the needs we see and the thoughts we think and the feelings we feel. pray that you would send the strength of your empowering into homes and families and hearts and minds and you would begin to untangle knots and solve problems and bring a kind of biblical optimism that is godly in its content and then I pray that you would remind us that we are together in spirit over all of this over this virtual reality in which we celebrate and worship together, but deeply bound together, bound to one another, but bound to you, to God the Father, to the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are one with you, and you are one with us. You are in us. And I pray now that you would wrap your arms around us as a community of faith. As extended family and friends, I pray that you would allow us to rise from this place to go into this week changed and different, we know we can change, but we cannot change alone. We need to be together in spirit with you and with each other. And in that truth, in that celebration, we're going to go into this week and we're going to trust you and we're going to continue to be together as the community of faith. And for all of it, we give you thanks. We pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and every person said, posted, commented, amen, and amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.